Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. And I want to minister this message, this message that really talks about taking that which God has placed upon the inside and, 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 and protecting it and, and, and maximizing it. And so I'm going to start this evening in uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. I'll kick off in verse 3. NIV all the way tonight. (laughs) His divine power has given us everything. I find it hard to say everything and not put such emphasis on it. Anytime I say everything in the Bible, it just has to have emphasis. Because you can't say everything and it it, it just, it's it's everything. It's not anything, it's everything. Everything. His divine power has given us everything. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. That sounds pretty awesome, right? That sounds pretty great. He's given us, I love the fact that when he's saying he's given it's not he will give, it's not future yeah. tense, it's, it's, it's given. Yeah. It's assured, it's guaranteed. He has given us everything we need for a godly life. Yeah. Everything we need for a godly life. Given us his very great and precious promises. And he has, he has freed us from that corruption of the flesh. He's freed us from, from all the nagging things that bind us and burden us. He's freed us from those things. Past tense, he has freed it. It is all done. He has given us license to participate in his divine nature. He has given us the authority to minister. He has given us that. We partake in his divine nature. We have the authority to step forth and minister in every single situation. This is guaranteed. These promises are guaranteed. And these are promises that will sustain a life of excellence. Yeah. Not of promise, not of perfection. Perfection comes afterwards. But excellence, continual, upward momentum. Mm-hmm. Something that grows, something that gets more and more powerful, something that does not stop or rest, but something that grows. It is, it is as if He has given us all of the fuel and taken away all of the drag. Everything that would slow us down. And yet he's given us rocket fuel to go forward. Everything that we need to see victory in our lives. To recognize and and, and see that victory, that overcoming, that breakthrough birthed in our lives every day. And yet, isn't it true that... That although we, we, we go through seasons, we, we hear these words, we, we, we get these scriptures, we, we, something just clicks in worship and, and we see that and we recognize it, we take hold of it. And yet, isn't it hard to sometimes sustain that for more than just a season? That, that, that it just seems like a season and you can kind of keep that up. And yet, it, it almost fizzles out. I said, 
continual upward momentum. And yet there seems as if there is something that kind of draws us back, that, that we cannot come back. And it's good to always come back, good to be refilled. And yet there, there is something in what God says there and something that we experience in our lives that there is a mismatch, there is a disconnection. And I want, us, I want us to really understand that. I want us to see past that, see the remedy to that. Because, you know, we are called to be engaged in the supernatural. Our lives are supposed to represent the supernatural. And although it is there, we, we sometimes, we are inspired by it, but it seems almost unattainable. We hear great words, great, great ministry, great testimony. And, that, and, and for a moment, we... We see ourselves in those footsteps. We see ourselves in that picture. And yet it can be snatched away from us so easily. It can so easily be taken away. And and we're going to talk about that tonight because I want us to understand that condition. And by doing that, I want us to really look at two sets of twins from the book of Genesis to really understand this. Two sets of twins, Jacob and Esau and Cain and Abel. Now Jacob and Esau, they're twins, the fact that they're twins is a part of their narrative. How they were born is, is, is described in the, in, the, in the Bible and how Jacob held on to Esau, he tried to sort of overtake him as the firstborn. You might be thinking to yourself, I wasn't sure, I didn't realize that Cain and Abel were, ba- uh, were, were twins. Well they were definitely brothers and the thing is that the Bible, it doesn't categorically say that they are twins. However, If you look a little deeper, if you look at the convention in which the Bible describes uh, the birth of children and and, and, and the family, there's a convention that is followed, particularly in Genesis, where it talks about uh, the parents and then the baby and then the parents and then the baby. And, And yet in this one, in this instance, it talks about the parents and then it talks about a birth and then another birth. And so... For the purposes of this message, and because this is how it was revealed to me by God, we are going to just take it for granted that they are twins. Amen? You with me? Awesome. Why twins, you might be asking. Why, why is it important that they're twins? Well, twins represent this sort of fascinating case of divergent paths. The lives lived in parallel with one another. They, they share so much in common. They, they have the same starting point. Yeah. The same, what you'd call initial conditions. Uh, but they are two completely separate beings. They are completely different people with a different set of priorities and ambitions that they will encounter different opportunities and different obstacles. They may have the same starting point, but like every single step from that point forward takes them on a different adventure, on a different journey. They're not the same person, despite the fact they may look the same or sound the same and and, and sometimes even think the same. They are not, that it would be foolish to think that they would be the same people. They They are separate beings created separately to have separate lives, uh, separate experiences. I want us to look at first uh, Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks. And Jacob worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain bought some of the fruits uh, of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel's and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. 
So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will not. Uh, if you do not do what is right, you will not be accepted. But if you do not, uh, but if you do not do what is right, so, oh, hang on, let me read that again. If you do what is right, uh, will you not? <laughs> I was wondering what I was reading there. Uh, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Who'd agree with me here that that probably didn't go the way that God wanted it to? <laughs> that, that talk was not, that wasn't the outcome that he was, uh, that wasn't the choice he was wanting Cain to make right there. When he sort of laid it out, hey, you could do this or you could do that. He wasn't wanting him to do that. He's like, why don't you just do this? I, I had something this week where uh, my wife, Laura, called me up at work and, and, and she explained to me that it was very important that uh, this week she, uh, she got a leather jacket. Uh, called me up at work in the middle of the day. It was that important. Uh, and, uh, and I did the classic husband move and sort of say, well, you know, we've got these things coming up. We have to pay for this. You know, you know maybe it'd be a good idea if we just hung on three or four years. And, uh, <laughs> but I'm not as stupid as I used to be. When I was really, really stupid, not just slightly stupid, <laughs> I would be like, no, we can't do it. And I would put the proverbial foot down. But I've learned that when you put the proverbial foot down, what happens is a short while later, you end up apologizing and she gets an even more expensive leather jacket. <laughs> so I was wise. And I didn't say no. I just said, well, look, we are partners. It is our finances. It is our money. We share it. We have a joint bank account. It is ours. So I've told you my reasons why I think we shouldn't do that at this time. But you are free to do what you think is best. Mm. <laughs> and yesterday, after we finished at the conference, Laura said, I need to nip into Union Square. And we're driving there. I'm driving her there. <laughs> and like, kind of occurs to me, why are we going here? <laughs> like, I didn't ask until we were driving there. I said, oh, have you got something you need to take back? She says, oh, no. Getting that leather jacket, of course. <laughs> I was like, all right. So not only are you doing the thing that I kind of didn't want you to. I didn't say this to her, obviously. I was thinking it. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> but I am also driving you there so that you can buy that leather jacket. You know, there are times where we give people choices, and they don't always take the option that we would prefer they took. That being said, Laura probably has a far greater uh, revelation of prosperity than I do, so I should probably stick with her on that one. <laughs> Or at least you could tell her I said that. <laughs> See, Cain came to God. He came to God and he, and he brought these fruits. And on the face of it, you might be like, well, what was the difference? Well, the difference was this, that, that Cain was a farmer. And he basically brought God what he had at the end of his harvest. So he knew, he already had, he already knew what he'd grown by. He already knew what the prophets were. He's like, well, look, here's... Here's what I have left over. Here's what I have that I can afford. This is what uh, I think is a reasonable offering. And he brought it to God. And, and see, God wouldn't have, God was real with him and said, look, this is, 
This doesn't represent the covenant that we have together. This, is, this doesn't represent love. This represents convenience. Yeah. This represents what you've got left over. This doesn't... If, if, uh, if, if I went to my uh, wife on her birthday and she said, oh, what did you get me for my birthday? And I said, hang on a minute. And I came back two minutes later with some batteries and said, sorry, I got these from the remote, but I didn't have time to wrap them. You know, she, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't be very pleased. It wouldn't really convey to her the love and covenant that we share. And, yeah. and it was the same with God. God's like, look, this is supposed to be something to bless, to, to represent the covenant relationship that we have together. Mm. But it only represents an afterthought. Mm. And so he, he said, look, it's not acceptable. Because Cain knew better. Yeah. He knew that it wasn't good enough. He knew that it was left over. Now Abel... Funny thing is, Abel is probably, he's one of those people that, he's one of those characters from the Bible that probably most people know about, even if you didn't go to Sunday school or go to church. You know, Cain and Abel is, is one of those sort of stories from the Bible that transcends sort of just the church. Everybody knows about Cain and Abel, but the thing is, Abel, like what I've read to you there, is pretty much the entirety of what we know about Abel. We know his job. We know he was a shepherd. We, we know that, that he brought something of worth because, and it might have even been just the only occasion in his entire life, but in that moment, in that passage, he had an understanding of what it was to have covenant with God, what it was to have a relationship with God, what it was to enter into the promises of God, because he did not bring some leftover lamb at the end of lambing season. He brought the firstborn fatted portions firstborn is significant because well he might not have had any more lambs after that that might have been the last lamb that he ever saw in his entire life it probably was actually Uh, but (laughs) but but he brought that sheep and he brought it to God and said you know what you are so important to me you are just my absolute everything that I will give you my everything, everything I own, everything that is, that is of worth to me, my increase goes to you. And that was all we know about him. Because what happened was his life, his, his legacy, that, that legacy of honor, that, 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 that understanding, that covenant relationship with God was snuffed out. As he entered that field and his brother murdered him, his brother killed him. That, that legacy, that, 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 that understanding of God, that, that thing that could have been passed on became no more. And all that was left was Cain. And Cain was now alone. He was cast out. He was cursed. He was not killed. God always gives us an opportunity to come back. Even in that situation, God protected him. But he was alone and he was cast out. Let's go on and have a look at Jacob and Esau. You see, Jacob and Esau is a little more of a complicated story. It's a lot longer in the Bible. It's a little more complicated because Jacob had this, he placed this supreme value on God's promises. He, he, he saw them as so valuable, but they weren't his. They weren't his to have. They were Esau's. They were Esau's promises. They were Esau's promise as the firstborn, as the birthright, as that promise of the first son. It was Esau's, but Jacob held them in such high regard. If we start in Genesis 25, verse 29. 
Now, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of the red, that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Despised it. Tell you what, beware trading with honest Jake. Honest Jacob (laughs) will have you, I'll tell you that. Look, mother, I've sold the cow. I've got these magic beans. (laughs) Watch out for honest Jake. The funny thing is, right, if you look at that, it's obvious. It's so obvious that that birthright, that, that, that provision, that firstborn promise, in, 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 like in any terms, is so much more valuable than a bowl of stew. Mm. Yeah. Like it's so obvious it's stupid, right? It's, it's just, you're talking about something incom- incomparable against something so finite, But it's not always about the value of something. If you think about what something is worth, worth is different from value because worth is our engagement with a thing. Value is something that you can, you know, an accountant can tell you, a a valuation. You have surveyors who will tell you what something is, what its value is. But worth is far more... (coughs) our connection with something, what we are willing to pay for something, what it is worth to us. What it might be worth to me is might not be what it's worth to you. Worth is somewhat of an emotional attachment that we have to a thing. Now, Jacob used underhand methods to to gain the things that his brother was promised, but he was only able to do it because his brother held it in disdain. He couldn't force his brother to sell him his birthright for a bowl of stew. For one thing, his brother was much bigger than him. But like he couldn't, there was, he could only do it. He was only able to gain it because his brother held it in contempt. You know what it's like to hold something contempt? You ever been on holiday uh, and you have some money? You like wearing shorts, and shorts often don't have pockets. Or like if you're running and you've got your spandex on, and you've got a note hidden, you know, jammed in your waistband, and, and you stop and you get a drink, and you give them like a five-pound note, a ten-pound note, and they give you like nine-pound coins back, and you've still got to run all the way home, and <laughs> got all this money in your hand, and like you maybe you maybe walk a little bit, but isn't it horrible to hold money, like coins and stuff? It's you just want rid of it. Yeah. But it's valuable. Yeah. But, we, but we hold it. Once you hold it for a bit, you do anything to get rid of it. You, you'll offer to buy everyone else in the queue their drink as well. <laughs> you'll spend it on trash. You'll just do anything to get rid of it because you hold it in contempt. Mm. You don't want to hold it anymore because you take it for granted. But it has value. Mm. Yeah. He couldn't make him give up anything at all. He only played on his brother's obvious disregard for its value. 
And see, what we have in those, that comparison there the, between the twins is we have one set, in each set, you have one who has placed an extraordinarily high value upon God's promises. Higher than everything. Will do anything to be in covenant with God. And yet you have the other who discounts it. Who, who looks at it in a diminished sense. And I want us to take their relationship. Take those, those sets of twins and, and interpret them as an expression of our two sides of our being. Of our soul and our spirit. See the spirit is tuned to the rhythms of God's heart. It it responds to his heart. It it has this tremendous appreciation for his relationship. To have relationship. The spirit is constantly reaching out to God. Constantly looking to share covenant with him. The spirit on the inside wants nothing more than to be with God. To have communion with God. The soul, on the other hand, the soul can only interpret God's promises through the prism of what can be gained and at what price, what expense. It misconstrues the relationship for a transaction. It sees the promises of God as a mechanism to prosper. It's not a mechanism. God isn't a bank machine. Don't put your card in and tell them how much you want. It's a relationship. The spirit understands that because it is in tune with God. It moves in rhythm with God. It seeks above all things to have relationship with God. The soul is always looking to gain. Always wondering at what expense. And so there is this contest within us. This toing and froing over God's word. This, this ache to embrace him. Countered, contended against this temptation to spurn. Both sides are in this conflict. And you know what? The relationships are defined. Those two sets of twins, as I described them there, there's, they are defined by this conflict. Even though their fraternal bond could not be closer. They were not just friends. They were not just family members. They were not just brothers. They were twins. They came at the same time. Their lives were in step with one another. They were in parallel with one another. And yet, in what we read there, their lives are defined by conflict. Where did the conflict emanate from? It emanated from a differing value. Of God's promises. Such profoundly different attitudes. Such different attitudes. You see the soul. The soul gains worth by comparison. It it has to compare. Its worth is relative. And so it compares itself. At all times. Which which has. Which breeds a sense of inferiority. And from that place of inferiority. It looks to find control and dominion. It looks to take over. It looks to have control of the situation because it cannot, it it, it is inferior. How did this turn out? Well, we know how it turned out for Cain and Abel, but 
But what happened when Jacob and Esau were reunited? And it happened many years later. Jacob ran away from his brother because his brother said, look, when my dad dies, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to take back what's mine. I'm going to get rid of him. They both had these sort of, they both breathed uh, murderous thoughts, Cain and Esau. But after many years, Jacob felt like he had to come back. And he came back and he was approaching his brother and he got this word that his brother was coming to him. And he was coming to him with like 400 men. He's like, what does that mean? What do you need 400 men for? It's just me and my family. And this was the first time that Jacob had seen him since he'd, he cheated him. Since he'd run away. Genesis 33 verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob uh, Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find find favor in your eyes, my lord, uh, he said. But Esau said, "I I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please. Said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For, uh, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was bought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all that I need. Mm-hmm. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Because he insisted... Jacob, uh, Esau accepted it. There is an establishment of roles right there. You see, you have to understand your soul is blessed Mm -hmm. when the spirit is in its ascendancy. When the spirit is in the ascendancy, you are blessed. You see right there, he insisted. The son of honor, the son of promise insisted. The spirit insists and the soul accepts. The soul seeks to dominate when it's on its own. And all that's left, when all it, all, it, all it accomplishes is the curse and isolation. My soul, I know for myself, my soul is crushed by its own tendencies. A tendency to anger. A tendency to, to be selfish, to be indulgent. Those things crush my soul. They are the self-centered leanings of my soul. And it leaves me alone and desperate. But the spirit reaps fruit. It reaps a fruit. It's interesting. The the spirit reaps. The spirit farms. The spirit harvests. It reaps fruit. The soul cannot do that. It just consumes. It just eats. It just feasts. And so it will feast on whatever's there. Whatever is around, whatever is easiest, which is why when we allow us or give ourselves over to our soulish tendencies, we just feast upon the rubbish of life, the junk of life, the trash that comes our way. We fill ourselves up because the soul is so desperate to be filled, so desperate to have as much as it can. But the spirit satisfies that need because it reaps fruits, fruits of love, fruits of hope. Fruits of self-control and peace. Guess what that benefits? 
It benefits your soul. Your soul is blessed when your spirit is in the ascendancy. Your soul is blessed when the spirit is in control. When it has that place of leadership in your life. But those gifts, those fruits, they can only be accessed and administered through the Holy Spirit. Because you can only receive them. You cannot earn them. You can't earn those things. It has to be a gift. It has to come through a relationship with God. It has to come via a promise. We must understand that. Because the soul is always seeking to earn. Always seeking to to gain on its own terms. And to understand this even further, to understand it even greater, I want us to take a further, just one step back from this scene. We have our twins, our two sets of twins. But God reveals so much more when we take a step back. When you can look at more than a few verses at a time, God just, he brings in this much greater picture. And I want us to think about these twins who were their fathers. Who were their fathers? Who were the fathers of these two sets of twins? Every single point is important. Every single part of the history is important. Cain and Abel's father was Adam. What is Adam defined by? What is Adam known for? Adam, he had everything. He had this place next to God, this this place in in paradise, in, in, in the Garden of Eden. And what did he do? He held it in contempt. He, he, he disregarded, he diminished that place, that covering that he received from God. It was, at least Eve needed to be convinced to do something that God had asked them not to. At least she put up protest. Are you sure I should do this? Adam, on the other hand, was like, yeah, sure. Weird talking snake. I'll take a bite. He just went with it. And what, and what do you see? That, that disregard, that dishonor, that, that contempt is propagated through his sons. Whereas what happens? The son of dishonor is the one that dominates, that controls, that goes on. Whereas if you look at Jacob and Esau, their father was Isaac. And Isaac is the very embodiment of a child of promise. He is, he is so in tune with the promises of God that, that when, even when he realizes that his son has tricked him into blessing him instead of his older brother, does he say, oh, well, I guess it doesn't count then. I, I, guess, it, I guess I'll just take it back. No, he's like, what I have passed on is the promises of God. These promises are not something that, that I can, they're not whimsical. It's as if I have passed on the most important and valuable heirloom in my life. And I've passed it on to my son. I can't just take it back. There's no do-overs here. It is so valuable. And what happens? What do you see in his sons? You see the son of promise, the son of the spirit, bring in his brother. Bring his brother alongside him. That they walk along the path of promise together. They are both blessed. They are both in the ascendancy. See the the father in our lives. It it represents our inherited nature. 
And we all have an inherited nature. And I don't want us to get hung up on who fathers are and stuff like that. Because we all have what you class as human nature. We all have a human nature that, is, that, is, that, is, that doesn't quite mesh with, with God, with, with, with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. There's, there's something in resistance always. We only have one mouth. And, and there are times where we open it and we hear Jesus' voice. And then there's other times when we open it and we don't. But it's still our mouth. Because there's a tendency. There's a natural inclination that sits within each and every one of us. Something that is, that is natural. Something that is human. That is carnal. And so... If that's the case, then how can we ever be spiritual before soul? How can the spirit ever be in the place of ascendancy when our origins are from just this place of soul, this place of carnal? It's through Christ. He exchanges our soulish disposition for a spiritual rejuvenation. In Ephesians 1 verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Christ has made us, made it such that we can now choose a relationship with Father God. Yeah. Doesn't matter where we came from, doesn't matter what has gone before. Adoption. Doesn't matter what your natural inclinations are to this point. It doesn't matter what your inherited nature is. Because Christ came back that we could be adopted and that a new father would sit upon our lives. A new father would set a new template for our lives. That he would promote the spirit from behind the shadow of the soul to bring him to the forefront. That the promises of God could find fulfillment. The promises of God are, are his presence. Everything comes out of that. Everything comes out of that relationship, that covenant. It's it's just to have his presence around your life. To have the spirit come up. To rise up. Your heritage is cleansed. Every natural proclivity is rewritten. That is how we are called holy and blameless. Holy and blameless by his hand, by his might. The spirit, it channels the very best of our soul. We often think of, well, the spirit, it'll, it, would, it would just suppress the soul. No, it doesn't suppress the soul. It cleanses it. It polishes it. And it brings out, just, it enhances the flair of your personality. See, God made you. He made your personality. He made your character. He made your soul. Not that it would be suppressed and discarded, but that it could become the fullness of what it was supposed to be as he created it. That inherited nature exchanged for a redeemed one. 
We are adopted and grafted into his family. What does it mean to be adopted in his family? Father God, when he adopts us into his family, he positions us next to him. He puts us next to him so that we can see how he sees. He sits us on high. He takes us out of the chaos, out of the confusion, and he sits us next to him so that we're no longer on street level, but that we sit on high next to him. I encourage you in your prayer life, in your prayer life, just take a moment and just reposition yourself. Allow the Spirit to reposition you such that you sit next to him. You are sitting on high. Because you know what happens when you sit on high? You no longer acknowledge the obstacles before you. You begin to just see the remedies. You see the solutions. You see the answers because you are not down in the dirt, down in, 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 in the, the confusion. You're sitting on high next to Father God. You get to sit on high and see the world as he sees it. Sees the people around you. Not your enemies, not the not 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 not, not your adversaries, just other children, other children of God. People to be blessed, people to be prayed for. See no longer obstacles as these things that that are insurmountable. There is nothing insurmountable when you sit next to God. When you are adopted into his house, you find that unction to minister because you see the solution and when you see the solution something rises up on the inside and you turn to Father God and say shall I do something about that? He says, yeah you do something about that so you reach forth and you minister participate in his divine nature you are authorized you are authorized your spirit is in the ascendancy. A perfect equilibrium of those twins within. Spirit creating space for the soul to abound. To abound. To bring all of that character, all of that personality, all of that genius that God placed upon the inside. That it wouldn't be lost. It wouldn't be squandered, it wouldn't be scattered. That it would be used, it would be applied, it would be administered. That God would use you, His son, His daughter, to see the world around you changed because you sit on high with the Father, you sit next to Him. God, we give you glory in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you have risen in us. You have taken us from a place of inherited frailty where we feel blamed, convicted, and condemned. And you lift us out of that. You lift us through your adoption into your family. 
where we sit on high. We sit with you that the Spirit would rise, the Spirit would reach forth, that the soul is no longer our enemy, but our ally in reaching this world. We give you glory in this place. Release in people right now. Release right now. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.